0: Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. shopify.com slash work.
1: Welcome to the Standard Theatre Podcast. I'm Nick Curtis. I'm Nick Clark.
2: And I'm Nancy Doran. Coming up on today's show, we'll be reviewing the stage adaptation of Maggie O'Farrell's novel Hamnet, which is now on at the Garrick Theatre. Come back to bed. I can't sleep up there. The floor is floating in midair, like the cross stroke of an A. I don't understand.
0: Well, This house slopes together at the top and has a floor across its middle. It is an A, is it not?
2: That's just transferred to the West End from the RSC in Stratford.
1: We'll also be reviewing Lynn Nottage's Clydes at the Donmar, Directed by Lynette Linton, that show is a follow-up to Nottage's evening standard award-winning play Sweat.
3: And from the Gielgud Theatre, we'll be joined by Broadway and West End legends Bernadette Peters and Leah Salonga. The duo are performing in Stephen Sondheim's Old Friends, produced by Cameron McIntosh.
4: I don't like to just get up and sing a song. It has to tell a story and be about something. And that's what he writes about. He writes about the human condition. And uh, because I worked with him on two shows, and then I did some other ones, encores and things with him, and concerts, you know, I just would get to call him and talk to him, ask his, his advice about things. So he was a friend that it's a loss. It's a loss in so many ways for everyone. But he left his music.
1: Hello, welcome back to the Standard Theatre Podcast. Well, the sad news this week is that we lost producer Bill Kenwright. Yeah, Uh, a bit of a legend. Yeah, the, the relatively young age of 78. Really big personality and an important figure in the West End, but also... I know it's not necessarily our focus, but a lot of people are saying that the regional touring circuit wouldn't really exist without him. You know, yeah, that, that he did he, the
2: tour, because I thought he was the original producer of uh, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, he wasn't, was he? He did the tour. I think yes. that's right. He picked up yes. the, t- yeah. the touring rights and then it just became this massive, massive hit. But
1: he was a, a really, as I say, a really big figure, very ebullient, very sort of
3: straight-talking. straight-talking. proper producer. Proper, right? pro- he proper producer. Sort of made things happen. Yeah. He took risks. He was, I mean, it was interesting in his statement that they talked about that he was involved in over 500 productions I mean, largely staged, but also films and albums and yeah. all sorts of things. He really had his finger in a lot of pies on both sides of the Atlantic. Really, he absolutely
1: but... did. And he, you know, he he was famous for taking risks. You know, for being fairly experimental. Um, I had lunch with him once at his house, up near Paddington Station, and uh, we walked down to the kitchen where I was talking to him and his producing partner. I was doing a jokey feature about trying to put together a heavy metal musical called The Ace of Spades. <laughs> and uh, <Excellent>. Bill <laughs> gave up his time to sort of talk to me about the logistics mm. of producing it. But as we walked down, he was tapping the posters that his stairwell uh, of all the productions he put on just going that one lost money that one lost money that one lost money <laughs> <laughs> he fell down on his knees before the poster was stepping out and said thank you thank you <laughs>
2: <laughs> I was reading his own in the stage earlier and it said that um, it took him a while because he used to be an actor didn't he started out yeah, as a very yeah. young man as an yes. actor but it took him a while to go from acting to producing due to a gambling habit which mm. he clearly never lost because that is exactly what yeah. producing theatre is, is. Yes, indeed. So it's slightly different rewards well, Yes, and yeah. when
3: it hits it really hits I mean Blood Brothers was the one that oh he's really God. associated yes, with. Yes, that's right. true. Yeah. And I mean, that ran for, I think, uh, well, over 20 years at various locations, but largely at the Phoenix Theatre. And to speak to the risk thing, he put it on in Broadway, where it really wasn't s- sort of destined, or w- w- you wouldn't have thought it was a, s- a slam dunk, no. um, and also had pretty bad reviews. But it amazingly ran for two years. It was uh, described, apparently, as as the miracle of Broadway. Right. So, so, you know, his risk, his, his gambling did pay off. Yeah, that's absolutely. fantastic.
1: And I mean, weird, it's weird that this week it was announced that uh, Cruel tensions the musical is coming in Mm. adapted from the film that's his production it's coming into the other palace next year so the legacy lives on yeah yeah yeah. um but terribly sad for his family and friends his partner jenny seagrove you know that was Mm. an amazingly long-lasting romantic partnership and and professional partnership she she acted in a lot of his productions yeah he'll be very sadly missed much missed
3: yeah talking of Cruel Intentions Nick uh, (laughs) it it was obviously announced this week that it would be the latest big budget adaptation of a musical but there was an even bigger one that was announced the same day which was Hunger Games is making its way to the British stage. Like, yeah. My mind
2: is boggling. I yeah. just don't know how they're going
3: to do it. I mean, the only thing is, is that is the quality of the talent that's attached to it already. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be written by Conor McPherson, who directed and wrote Girl from the North Country. Yeah. That like yes. Massive swerve that one. Yeah, <laughs> I
2: was like, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yes. I mean, cool, I, cool,
3: cool. Yeah, and directed by Matthew Dunstow, who did Two Twenty Two, amongst many, many others yeah. as well. So I mean, it's it's in good hands.
1: But Hunger Games, I mean, you th- you would think relies so much on scope and expansiveness, you know, it's and running big, about and running. A out and you know shooting arrows at people um, yeah. which I would think would be fairly dangerous to do with it although you world. know it's going to be
2: one of those things isn't it because there's that moment I think it's in the first film you know they've got the the sort of stylists because they're on telly and she has this dress and she kind of twirls around and it becomes another dress and she's kind of like a she's on fire yeah that made me think okay well if they're going to go down the sort of Harry Potter cursed child visual effects route then it could work yeah. it could really work but my god they're going to have to spend some money on it yeah well, they are it's
3: yeah. with all these things it's about adapting it so it works in the theater right yeah. you just yeah. can't make a straight adaptation yeah. of it's about
2: hangout. it's going to be
1: like sort of harry potter really isn't it it's got to be yeah. an independent yeah, thing is it, you know, is
3: it's is got it to be a, exist in
2: its own is own. it going to be a story on its of its own in its own right or mm. is it going to be an adaptation do we know i think
3: it's an adaptation of the of the novel i think um, yeah, okay. um Suzanne collins's novel
2: anyway anyway So, oh, oh, one more thing. (laughs) Oh, an exciting development. Yes. We've now got a dedicated Standard Theatre Podcast email address. (laughs) So if you've got any questions or comments or praise, obviously, then please do be in touch. Uh, Especially praise. Yes, especially (laughs) praise. Uh, We would love to hear what you think of the show and the shows uh, that we're seeing. So drop us a line at theatrepod, or one word, at standard.co.uk. Right, let's get into our first review. It's Hamnet at the Garrick. I haven't seen this, but the book was kind of massive. I'm expecting it to be good. Uh, Is that to be or not to be, Nick?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for putting that in, Nancy. Um, So
2: (laughs) It was entirely as a favour to you.
3: (laughs) So, yeah, this is an adaptation of Maggie O'Farrell's massively best-selling novel about the Shakespeare's, about um, parental loss, about the creation of a masterpiece. It was adapted by Lolita Chakrabarti and directed by Erica Wyman, started actually out in, in Stratford at the uh, Royal Shakespeare Company, and has now come into town for, um, for a run. I mean, it's sort of the origin story of writing Hamlet. It's sort of a biopic of William Shakespeare and his wife. Anne Hathaway, although uh, she is referred to as Agnes, spelt Agnes, um, yeah. because it it appears from the programme notes that Maggie O'Farrell has discovered we've been saying her name wrong for <laughs> centuries. And that in the will of her father, he leaves, whatever, he leaves to Agnes or Agnes. Yes, so we will right. be referring to Agnes rather than Anne in this, uh, in this review, as, yeah. as the play does. But yeah, it's obviously set in... 16th century Warwickshire it's very much the family life and sort of um, at the heart of the the uh, the heart of the show really. yeah
1: I think I think really Maggie O'Farrell's idea and also Lita Chakrabarti's mm-hmm. idea was to sort of bring Agnes Hathaway mm-hmm. into the spotlight really and to mm-hmm. emphasise the idea that genius doesn't create alone you know yes exactly behind every great mm-hmm. man exactly et cetera, et cetera, and yeah. um, Anne Hathaway as she was previously known mm-hmm. has always been this sort of slightly odd background figure considerably older than her mm-hmm. husband
3: she was illiterate, uh, was she, which everyone sort of took yeah. as a, isn't it hilarious that, yes. the, you know, one of the greatest writers of English. Exactly that. And he, and he
1: famously left her the second yeah. you know, the second best bed in his, in his will. Um, <laughs> but nothing which much is the else, else is known. Nothing much else is known about her. So there's a great amount of sort of creative yeah. free reign for a writer here. I think what O'Farrell did and what Louis Chakrabarti brings out here is the idea of her as... A very sort of sexually powerful woman who, you know, is o- obviously alluring to this rather nerdy young yes. Latin teacher as uh, Shakespeare <laughs> yeah. is when they first meet. But she's also yeah. a sort of a creature of nature. There's a certain amount of, sort of mysticism
3: yeah. and magic. She's a, sort of a healer. She's I a, a, healer, a yes. healer, a seer. She can commune with the spirits. Yes, it's exactly. That sort of and thing. a naturopath. She sort of yeah. she
1: feels her children long before she, I think even before she meets Shakespeare, you know, she's sort of aware of them. Well, There's I think sense that that's sort of, a
3: dramatic little tick by Chakrabarti because the play restructures the book. The book starts with the twins at 11 years old as they fall ill. Yes. This is much more linear. Yes. Which is a problem because obviously the play's title, Hamnet, the character doesn't emerge until halfway through because he's not been born. So there are sort of throwing forward, and this is what Nick's referring to, that, you know, they, they, they come as sort of forecast spirits, they come running round when the two characters are still young, but they haven't sort of got together yeah. and started their passionate relationship. Right. Yes. Stage.
1: Yeah. I think this might have changed slightly since it was staged in Stratford. I spoke to Lolita about it uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I think she said people sort of missed the fact that Hamlet wasn't on stage early on. So I think she sort of brought him in and his twin
2: earlier on.
1: It's not a great spoiler to announce that Hamnet dies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nick. Skippy dies. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. No, he you know he he dies of plague and the part of the sort of conceit of both the story and the play is that this obliquely inspires the writing of Hamlet yeah. which is of course a play about loss amongst it being a play about and sons fathers and, and all sons of that.
2: being powerless as Yes, as well, which, which to be honest
1: to me is always slightly the sort of weakest part of the story both on stage and on the page you know I don't really see how that connection really works you yeah know, I, I don't care something. sort
2: of more about the relationships and the, well, and, yeah. and the loss of the the actual loss of the child yeah it's
3: interesting i have read the book and it didn't affect me anywhere near as much as many for many many Mm. uh, millions of people clearly i mean people were really passionate about how much they're affected by this book so you know i'm not worried by an adaptation i'm not gonna be oh no they've ruined it but funny enough for me the bit that really did affect me was the writing around hamlet just to talk about i mean i take your point absolutely that you know, whether it was inspiration or whatever, it could be a bit tenuous. But Maggie O'Farrell's actual writing around it is really beautiful. And writing this dual thing of, 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 of Hamlet, but also the, his family life. And I found that really a, the most affecting part of the book. Yeah. Here, unfortunately, it doesn't translate, mm-hmm. I think, at all. So... The big problem for me... I mean, I actually thought it was a perfectly fine night at the theatre. I was... Really good acting. I thought the writing was good. Obviously, it's got a great source material, and I think Chakrabarti has, has adapted it well. Yeah. Other than, you know, messing around or making it linear. But I don't think there's much she could have done. It's Actually, that's to do with staging. I think that's a, that's a problem with, you know, you can't bring these sets on and off. And, and so yeah. I understand why that's been done. But the emotional heart of the play, I think, doesn't bring you to the depths that you need to be brought to for a really sort of stellar production yeah. you know it it skates a little over the top you know yeah. i I think Madeleine Mantock's great. Yes, as, as Agnes. She plays Agnes. As Agnes yes, right? yes, Um She has that sort of delicacy of the sort of seer and the lover of nature, but also real steel. Yes, and brings the grief to it. I think she. I think her performance is excellent. I think Shakespeare's a little. who's played by um, Tom Vary. I think the character is much less well drawn. I mean, yeah. but it, 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 intentionally, he's I kind it's of an all, incidental. It's character. almost
1: impossible to play
3: Shakespeare yeah, on it, stage. I think it, it after
1: is. Shakespeare in Love and. Uh, Upstart Crow, it's almost impossible to do a sort of non-stereotyped Performance it's of Shakespeare. certainly a
2: non-comedic one. No, yeah. six,
1: exactly, yeah. and there's also there's all there's, there's that slightly embarrassing thing when you put Shakespeare on stage that you have to sort of sketch in the bits. You have to yeah, you yeah. come you have to have him come on and say oh, I'm really worried, Henry. The, Henry, yeah. the sixth is too long. or yeah, yeah, Whichever yeah. Henry it is, he's talking about. Or you know, oh, I can't Romeo and who? Yeah, yeah, yeah You know, yeah, can't yeah. decide to what to call my uh, my yeah, heroine. Yeah. But this he's one. also
3: off stage for a lot of this because it is, really is yes. her story. She's completely centered, which is totally great. And yeah. You know, yeah. I think they've done they've done a great job of sketching her in. She's a fascinating. Character yeah. that you do like spending time with, yeah, yeah. But I, th- I, I don't think it brings the heart you need for. I think this it's. To work. I
1: mean, it's a very. It's solid. I would yeah. say right. about this, totally you know, do. and it's very RSC. Almost <laughs> 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 there is, there is,
3: it, It's sort of. It's a shame that the the final beats don't land because I think it is worthy of dramatisation. I, I, mean, it got rave, pretty much rave reviews when it was in Stratford. I wonder if there was if if, if bringing it into one of the West End theatres whether something's been lost. I don't I don't know what's happened because the reviews this time around were not as good no they were very so, varied there, some, yeah. there were
1: some raves there were some absolute pans I think yeah. I was supposed to be slightly kind to it yeah. partly because I had just interviewed Lolita who I'm extremely fond of and who I, who's no, writing and, and, I,
3: and who is a, yeah, very talented,
2: yeah, very talented.
3: Oh, and the writing is great and I think the acting is good too mm. I mean and, and you get like with the motive in the queue you get a few edited highlights of Hamlet as yes. well so that's <laughs> good I always yeah. enjoy that absolutely yes and there's all
1: you know there's the usual sort of fun bits of Burbage yeah. and Kemp you yeah. know overacting and yes. you know trying to upset Stage one another and all all those bits of sort of ho ho in jokey yeah, Shakespeareana yeah. that you're bound to get in a in a play like this. Um, I like the set actually. Yes. I love the fact that there's this, this very Tom Piper carpentered a yeah. um, frame, which effectively suggests sort of. 15th century 16th century rural architecture but also the letter a for and yes or and and becomes, sort of, and
3: the wooden o right yes Is exactly it? the wooden o
1: they basically recreated the sort of curve of the mm. of the balconies of the Garrick theater on the stage so it does become the wooden o of shakespeare's first globe nice. and there's quite a lot of, of stuff about the globe in that so, why do not we build our own theater yeah we could call it the globe yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff like that um, i mean i think if i think if you if you love the book you probably will enjoy this yeah, you I know think so. you probably won't get everything from this that you, yeah. go, that you got from the book because, yeah. you know, you can't do that sort of interiority on stage that you can in fiction.
3: Um, and but, the ideas you know, of, of art and creation of art and genius and how that's nurtured are really interesting, I yeah, think. And yeah. it's, you know, brought to life in those performances. It, it You know, I, th- I think if you like that sort of thing, I think... People, people I mean, who like that com- sort of thing will like yeah, sort of thing. it's, it's not going to convert any, uh, you know, people to the cause, I think. But, um, yeah. It's a nice gentle night out of the theatre. Why not go for it? It's a solid Why night not? out. Why, yeah. not? Why not? Right, let's go to the ads. Uh, coming up in part two, I'll be over at the Gilgud Theatre with Broadway legend Bernadette Peters and Broadway and West End legend Leah Salonga, who are performing in Stephen Sondheim's Old Friends, produced by Cameron McIntosh.
0: Hello, my name is Charlie Stemp and you are listening to the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast.
3: I'm here at the Gilgood Theatre with two legends of the Broadway stage who are here starring in Stephen Sondheim's Old Friends. Welcome to the podcast, Bernadette Peters and Leah Salonga. Thank you. My first question is to you, Bernadette. This is your West End debut and well, really, I want to know what took so long?
4: Oh, well... And that's
0: something we would all like to know.
4: <laughs> You know, you'd think I would have been asked, but I really wasn't, except for twice. And the first one was, I didn't like the material. And the second one was, I didn't want to leave home at that time, you know. Oh. Uh, this is the third time, actually. So this is the third time. And I thought, well, with Stevens' music and Steve's words, and I love singing his his stuff, and so... And I want to be supportive and we all love him so much. So mm. here I am with Leah.
3: And Leah, you're a bit more of a West End veteran. Kind in, of,
4: sort of, yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah, in several well iconic shows, obviously, Miss Saigon and Les Mis. Yeah. But that was in last in 1996. So w- what's it like being back?
0: It's wonderful being back. I mean, I've been back for short concert, okay. gala type things. But to actually be in the West End doing a longer run... Oh my gosh, what an experience this has been thus far. I mean, I get to work with this fantastic lady and it's a cast filled to the brim with West End stars and it's just been such a gift.
3: And it's an amazing company, amazing mix of talent from both sides of the Atlantic, really. Yeah. How, how easy was it to all come together and sort of create the chemistry for the show?
0: The thing is, I mean, when, when Cameron first pitched the idea... There was this thing of, oh, my God, it's Sondheim. This is going to be overwhelming. This is going to be difficult. And once the rehearsal process started, it wasn't at all. And everything just kind of happened really naturally. And it, it's, it was not a long rehearsal period, maybe three weeks in the studio before we started tech. It was really quick, but everything just kind of got absorbed in a way it was almost via osmosis for the rehearsal process i think
4: that i think this everyone did their work one of the reasons that i did come what also made me want to come is when when i did the gala was it last year or two yeah, years 20, ago yeah the cast was so supportive. I was in a room with Dame Judi Dench and Petula Clark and Julie Mackenzie was right next to me Who and but, show but like I, I realized how supportive the actors over here are and how lovely that is and that's what I expected and that's what we got
3: and can I ask how you got involved obviously there was this gala it was sort of six months after Stephen died and there was this huge outpouring of love for him and his genius and his music but then when the idea sort of surfaced to oh we could actually run it for longer than that because there's so many fans who missed out on that one night um, how did that come about? Well,
4: this was all Cameron's yeah. idea. Mm-hmm. I mean, even that night, he's going around, or in rehearsal, he's going around to each of us going, you know, oh, this is to be a great show, we're going to make this a show. And then he'd say to me, you know, Michael Ball's going to do it. Then I'll go to Michael Ball. He said, I didn't tell him I was going to do it. I mean, he was just making it happen right in front of our eyes, mm-hmm. you night know. And yeah, and so he like knew what a great do, what know. a great show yeah. it would be. And he had it figured out yeah. in his head, and he was right. Yeah.
3: yeah, and was that the same with you, Leah, as well? You just, you know, he came because you've known Cameron since you must have been 17, right? Yeah, if, uh, I
0: met him when I was 17, and that was in 1988, so 35 years, which is the longest relationship I think I've ever had with a man. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really nice to joke about now. In my case, though, the gala had already happened, and I didn't even know that it had happened. I was living in New York, just raising a kid, and then there was one day last November. Cameron called me into his office, and when Cameron calls you into his office, it's an uh oh what is he thinking? <laughs> so he showed me bits and pieces of the gala um he showed me Sweeney Todd, he showed the opening and after an hour of doing that, he then t- an hour an hour of videos a on a la- on his on his assistant's laptop. He then turned to me and asked. What can I do for your life that will enable you to come to London and do this? That was the question. It wasn't a question of um, any of the logistics, you know, when, when or what. It's what can I do for your life? That was the exact right question to ask because all the other stuff can be figured out and clearly everything got figured out because my teenager is with me and that that was the thing yeah, that yeah. that I needed to figure out and he helped me figure and, it out
3: and you'd done Sweeney Todd I think before in had Manila it? yeah had you um done a lot of other Sondheim had you, had, had you met him did you know Stephen
0: I can't say that I know Stephen the other show that I had done was Into the Woods I played the witch and so I watched this I one yes I did in Singapore and then the other Sondheim thing was that little bit of Hey, Mr. Producer, which this one was also in. Um, and then and we yeah. did his birthday. And his then we did 90th, the, the 90th virtual, birthday. Virtually. And mm. I got to sing Loving You. So he heard me sing that song right. Amazing. and sent me an email. So that was as far as our communication went. I may have met him very briefly in a hi, hello, nice to meet you situation, but never a conversation, never any sort of significant exchange mm. until that email came. So it seemed appropriate that the song he got to hear me sing is the song I get to sing every night here in this show. Absolutely.
4: And I had discussed with him after that 90th. I we discussed it and I said, You know who was wonderful? I thought it was Leia Salonga. He said, Yes, so did I. <laughs> I thought she was just really wonderful. And so
3: Amazing. Yeah. And and of course you've had a long, long relationship with yes. Stephen and his work.
4: You know, I just I just was so drawn to his music. I connected to it when I was here as a young girl and I saw Side by Side by Sondheim that Cameron had produced and Julia McKenzie was in it and the next day I couldn't get the songs out of my head. It was going around and around and I woke up with this one and that one. They were so great. And back then he hadn't been known for writing tunes and melodies and he everyone had to catch up to him, actually, the shows. And um, when I started doing my concerts, I just kept going to his music. I just kept going to that well. And even now in my concerts, I, I sing mostly his music. I don't like to just get up and sing a song. It has to be tell a story and be about something. And that's what he writes about. He writes about the human condition. Mm. And uh, because I worked with him on two shows and then I did some other ones encores and things with him and concerts you know I just would get to call him and Mm -hmm. talk to him ask his his advice about things and and uh, yeah. so he was a friend. That it's a loss. It's a loss mm. in so many ways for everyone. Yeah. But he left his music. So and, and it, now people are discovering it.
3: Absolutely. And and just sort of working together. What was he like as a person? He comes across as quite a gentle soul. I don't know. Was that in in the rehearsal room? Was it very different to that? I mean, no.
4: How... He was very very compassionate. Mm. I remember one day um, I was singing. A song, and I kind of got stuck. And he came back, and he said he was a, he was there many a lot. He said, "Oh, please, please, I can't do what you do. I can't get up in front of people and perform." He was so so kind, <laughs> so very kind.
3: I've wondered when you're performing because there's so many different shows, different songs from different shows. Are there ones that you really look forward to? Each of you are there numbers that you particularly each night. Think this is what I really look forward to now.
4: Mm. Well, you
0: must love doing Mrs. Lovett. No, yeah. yeah, I I yeah. I both look forward. To it yeah. and I'm terrified by it. <laughs> um, I think the terrifying thing is putting on a Cockney accent in front of British people. <laughs> oh, God. That's, oh, the cheekiness of Cameron to cast me in that. And, and I'm, I'm still questioning my life decisions well, when that it's, happens. You're
3: almost unrecognizable in it. I didn't realize until afterwards that I was oh, using really? that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. It's, with your costume <laughs> and the wig and everything. And it was great. Um, but yeah, Bernadette is there.
4: Oh, I, I think gimmick is fun. I like the beginning of Broadway Baby.
0: <laughs> oh, so hilarious. We're all like chuckling in the back.
4: And there's a lot of freedom in those moments, so Mm. it's fun.
3: There's an amazing uh, moment right at the end, which is normally a solo song with Being Alive, but the whole cast comes together. And I found it that, and actually the end of Act One as well with Sunday in the Park with George, the the song that's from from that Sunday, just sort of transcendent moments. And I wonder being in the cast and singing that and being part of a sort of uh, a chorus for Being Alive, what's it like? And how does the, the audience respond?
4: I love that song, yeah. oh you know. God. It's just, you know, it just says so much, that song. And I think the audience connects connects with it. And we're all up there as a chorus, but we're also individuals. And, and Matthew Bourne directed us to be up there singing, what does it mean to you? So we're all individuals yeah. Very singing. personally,
0: yeah. yeah. I mean, when we all get together to do Sunday, and my... The, the initial thing is, we're gonna do Sunday. Oh my God, the original dot is gonna be right there. And we all have to come together and, and sing this. And Steven Brooker, who's our musical supervisor, was very particular that it wasn't just about the notes being in place, but what, what mood we're trying to evoke, what emotion we're trying to you know, put together. It's like, no, it's not somber. And even with Matthew, it's like, you're all strolling in a park. And it's even in the lyric, it's you're strolling in a park, so stroll, you know, don't, don't, don't walk with this, you know, for, you know, for in my head, So like, it's not a funeral march. We are strolling on a beautiful Sunday, singing this gorgeous song to finish the act, and it's going to be fantastic. But it feels like that song is like the, one of the national anthems of Sondheim, yeah. where you can't help but feel some sort of reverence for yeah. it, like being in church. Absolutely. When everyone's voices all come together, it's incredible. It's an incredible moment to be part of and be in the middle of.
3: I wonder, being such uh, veterans of Broadway, how the West End and Broadway audiences compare. Can you compare them? Well,
4: you can, because you hear you. Right. OK.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, now, you Bernadette. Been here? You've been here. No, you've years. concertized here. I yeah, mean, the audience.
3: you know. <laughs>
0: yeah. The audiences have been incredibly generous. And they really listen to the words. You know, it's not just about bombastic performances, which is what I do appreciate. It's not about vocal calisthenics doing this material, even though there are some, there is some of that. But it's really about the power in the words, the complex, not even complexity. It's not, no, it's it's in getting the words out to the audience and letting them feel whatever way they will feel about them. That is it. And... You know, someone in rehearsal said, the British audience is an audience that will listen to the words. Mm. So make sure that those words are clear and that they're right, which is something that I think might have been either Cameron or Matthew that said that, that this audience is going to really listen.
3: Well... I've got to say this is an extraordinary life-affirming show about art and humanity and one man's genius, really. Um, mm-hmm. And I would encourage all of our listeners to catch it while they can. So it runs until January the 6th. Yeah. Bernadette Peters, Leah Salonga, thank you so much for joining us. Thank
4: you. Nice. Thank you. It was wonderful. Right, let's go to the
2: ads. In part three, we'll be reviewing Clyde's at the Donmar Warehouse.
3: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. com slash style.
0: Hi, I'm Alison Oliver and you're listening to the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast.
3: This is Clydes at the Donmar. You were both there last night on press night and uh, both came back with a pretty solid a good reaction to it yeah
2: yeah it's it's by double Pulitzer Prize winning playwright Lynn Nottage we have to uh, I think we're legally obliged to mention that she is in fact the only I think she's certainly the first and possibly still the only woman to win two Pulitzer Prizes for drama that's right and of course an Evening Standard Theatre Award yep Um, much more important much more important but it's, it's basically set in a Pennsylvania truck stop diner uh, that employs ex cons and the whole thing is set in the kitchen and it's really just a group of four people five people if you count the person clyde who who runs the um the joint um but four chefs who work in the kitchen three quite young one less young you know, it's about their kind of relationship and journey, if yes. you like, because they're all in in search of redemption.
1: Yeah, the centre of this plot is that the the perfect sandwich becomes a metaphor for all these characters' hopes of betterment or self improvement, yeah. or basically freeing themselves from the from the sort of cycle of. Crime and impoverishment that has blighted yeah. their lives, really.
2: Yeah. And that's and that, so I'm sorry, I just have to say. It makes you really—they're they're constantly kind of describing their perfect sandwich, like coming do, up with ideas. Do, do, they, the do they do any cooking on stage? They do. Weirdly, they do quite a lot of chopping of peppers for sandwiches, right. which <laughs> yeah. I think is a bit odd. But anyway, they do—they do do some. They do a lot of assembling, assembling yeah. of things. But it made me so hungry. Yeah, I, it's really, true. I
3: remember going to uh, Skylight with Kerry Mulligan. Oh yeah, yeah. and she cooked bolognese on stage, yeah. and I was so hungry I nearly clambered on stage. <laughs> <laughs> a myself. It's an
1: extraordinary potent thing actually, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? The creation of food on stage. I think it's one it's a yeah. it's a very easy way of tapping you know, it, it does tap into something sort of very yeah. Within an audience, I think right? listeners yeah, exactly.
3: should write into our new email address to uh, yeah. talk about their favourite examples of food on stage. Yeah, so
1: yeah, I, 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 I did that. wonder if Lynn Nottage was cursing or thanking God for the existence of the Bear, the TV series, which is also mm-hmm. about people shouting in a kitchen and <laughs> yeah, trying yeah, it in yeah, a sandwich yeah, exactly. bar kitchen. <laughs> but this, I think, is, is there's a different dimension to it. You know, that is that's that show is very much about the sort of pressure of you know the kitchen pass, mm. isn't it? Here, I think there's a there's an almost sort of mystical dimension to it to the the whole sandwich metaphor.
2: Yeah, I think it's, it seems sort of weird to be talking about development with a writer as accomplished and established as Lynn Nottage. But it, the the other thing I didn't mention is it it's a sort of sequel to mm. her play Sweat, which yes. won the Evening Standard Theatre Award, which I think was 2016, possibly.
1: Uh, it was. I think it was written in 2016. It won our award in 2018 yes. when it was directed by Lynette Linton, yeah. who directs again here yes, with the exactly. same designer.
2: Great set. We can talk about that in a minute. but So this one takes the kind of political, the sort of textural realism of Sweat, and then it seasons it liberally, if mm. you like, with some of the kind of magical spirituality of her most recent play, which is Malima's Tale, which we reviewed a couple of weeks ago in yeah. podcast. You can go back and have a look at that. Um, we'll put that in the show notes. That was just at the kiln, and that is literally haunted by the spirit of a dead elephant. Yes. So it's much more kind of like mystical. There are moments here where... Each of the characters, or most of the characters, are f- at some point gripped by a kind of flashback trauma from prison, and there was those kind of stylized moments didn't have a place in sweat. Yes. Whereas now it feels like she's combining those two, yeah. those two ways of, of, of theatre making, which it's, I, I it's really lovely. <laughs> it's great.
1: It's really lovely. It's it's extremely
2: funny. It is very
1: funny. It's very, very, very funny. It covers a lot of very, very, very serious ground in an extremely funny way. Um, You know, at its root, this is about being trapped in the cycle of poverty, isn't it?
2: Really. You know, it's the redemption and humanity of people who are traditionally judged to be irredeemable. You know, and I think especially the U.S. context is quite important Mm. because apparently that restricts your, I don't really know, I'd really be aware of this, but. It restricts your rights even after you've served your time in a way that most European countries don't. Right. And so I think the sort of desperation to keep a job and stay out of trouble in America is even that bit more. The criminal legal system is so skewed towards effectively keeping people in rather than rehabilitating them.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, we, you know, ours is broken. We've talked about that before mm. in relation to um, that play Wood Hill that you saw, Nick. Um, so you can imagine what it's like there, you know. So it is. It is really. It's really serious stuff. But as you say, it's it's genuinely hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. and there's yeah. dancing. Does, is, is <laughs> it's brilliant at
3: sort of. that, isn't she? And I think the
1: fascinating thing about um, about the sort of relationship between the two plays is that the one constant character is Jason, who is the white ex-con who mm. has. Nazi or sort of white power facial tattoos, yeah, and yeah. finds himself in this kitchen run otherwise by entirely by black or Hispanic people. Yeah. Like amazing to see how Nottage's mind works that she just mm. thinks I'll build, I'll, 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 construct an offshoot of sweat around this character. You know, the, he will be the bud from which the rest this, of the the Lynottage extended universe. <laughs> <laughs>
3: exactly. yes. yes, quite. Yes. we'll have uh, elephants coming in at the yeah, end. No, exactly. the, yeah. It is
1: an ensemble piece. It's, it's it, a the, gorgeous. The, the class, mysticism yeah. extends to Montalas. Uh, the, there's a a slight hint that Clyde who's a female character, is, yeah. is, she's a sort of slightly demonic character and there is a hint at one point that you, you never see her eat and they think that yeah, this yeah, means exactly. that she is sort of somehow supernatural. But I think and that's I think all, yeah. Montrellis is, yeah. A, is a sort of Christ figure or John slightly the Baptist guru-y. figure. You know, a slightly guru-y, yes. Um, there are scenes where he's sort of spotlit from above creating these sandwiches and sprinkling, uh, seasoning over them in a very sort of salt bay. It's right? a, <laughs> so, <laughs> so salt bay. I'm sure that's <laughs> deliberate. It's very funny. But it's, I mean, you know, Charles Ferrer is a tremendous actor a tremendous leading yeah. man. He here takes a sort of slightly back seat, I yeah. think. You know, he, the character is on stage l- at least of all the kitchen staff. I mean, Clyde's is, yeah. Clyde herself is possibly on stage a little bit less than him. But it's really about the interplay between the three uh, main characters in the kitchen We're Sebastian Oroco as the sort of short order cook, Raphael, uh, Patrick Gibson as Jason, as we say, the, the white guy with the facial tattoos, and uh, Ronki Adekolojo uh, as Letitia, who went to prison for stealing medication for her disabled daughter and as she says some oxytocin and yeah. some to sort of sell on the side. Getting a
2: bit greedy. Yeah, yeah I, I love that. She's like that's I, on me. Again, I love
1: that. I love the fact that you know Lynn Nottage won't just write her as this entirely wholesome character yeah, who is no, stealing absolutely. for her disabled child but mm. yeah, she brings in a, a, a sort of a, a human flaw to her as well, you know, makes her makes her more complicated.
2: The final character who rounds it out is Clyde who is Bemezola Icamello, who I've not seen before actually as far as I'm aware but she's great and absolutely horrible Yes, yeah,
3: she's a <laughs> so so really horrible. really unpleasant I think character I she's done some great stuff on TV Black Ops uh, yeah. she's done oh, uh, you yeah, know, okay, uh, so okay. real rising star I think in that yeah. respect yeah.
2: I think Lynette Linton is brilliant at kind of creating and nurturing a brilliant ensemble cast yeah. I mean you know full disclosure she's a really good friend of mine but yeah. the large reason for that is that I thought she was amazing and I was like I want to be your friend <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, but I don't want to dilute their achievement by crediting it to her because I think although she creates obviously a very joyful and nurturing rehearsal room all of them are brilliant there's a sort of comfortable naturalism in all of their interactions yeah. and, but also an embrace of the more theatrical elements that doesn't jar with the characters because yes. all of those characters are performing you know yes. they've all had to survive the prison system so they've created characters within themselves and a carapace just to just to get on yeah. and you know they're hiding their vulnerabilities and protecting themselves and so on so it all makes sense but yeah I just think all of them are, there isn't a weak link, I don't think. No, I totally agree. And I just think
1: Ronke Ad- Adikolojo is just an extraordinary actress. Yeah, yeah. One of the best character actresses you know, to grace our stages at the moment. Um, yeah. Every time, I was saying this to you earlier, Nancy, that every time she's on stage, I was watching her for 10 minutes thinking, I wonder who that actress is, and then thinking, oh, God, it's Ronke, of course. you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because she's so totally different in She'd everything totally she transform. does. She totally transformed. She and Giles Serrera were both in Blues from an uh, Alabama Sky, yeah. uh, directed again by Lynette Linton uh, at the National. Oh a couple of years ago now um, in which she played this incredible sort of frumpy uh, yeah she was like super uptight yeah, super uptight religious character. very
2: very sort of yeah and then and just completely different to this person yeah. completely different yeah
1: there's lots of stuff that you think shouldn't really work here I mean the whole sandwich thing is a bit nonsensical really I all, know, all the sandwiches they describe nice. sound awful they right? <laughs> do not well some of them what do some of them do
2: no some taste. Of them do. yeah I loved it I, I just to say I love Frankie Bradshaw's Set as well. I think yeah. she's a very talented designer. It's so sort of meticulously achieved, but with such simplicity, and with just enough, of, you know, just enough flexibility to allow for a bit of messing around. They don't seem trapped in it. Yeah. And you can trap people in the Donmar Warehouse. you, know? yes. <laughs> you yeah. really can. I it's felt scary. trapped in the Donmar Warehouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> It does feel like they're not trying too hard to get too much in, but the detail of what is there is perfect. Yes. Yeah, I loved it. I think, I think it's a really, really lovely night out at the theatre, and it's an hour 45, probably an hour 40, actually, straight through. Yeah. Which is, you know, as, as list, regular listeners will know, one of our
3: favourite so things. It's time <laughs> to get a nice sandwich afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> within,
2: within five minutes, my friend who I was with, she sort of nudged me and she went, we have to get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They wouldn't shut up about sandwiches.
1: (laughs) It's a shame there's no interval because they could clean up. (laughs) They they sell sandwiches, (laughs) but uh, yeah. Anyway, no, loved it. Great, loved it absolutely. Clyde's runs at the Donmar until the second of December. And that's this week's episode of The Standard Theatre Podcast.
2: Check out all our episodes below, which includes guests such as Charlie Brooks, Alison Oliver, Joseph Fines, Lenny Henry, Antonia Thomas, and many other very brilliant people.
3: Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss us. And remember, you can email us now, so please do get in touch with all your comments, all your questions, and like we said, all your praise. So the address is (laughs) theatrepod at standard.co.uk.
1: Thanks to our producer, Rachel Abbott. We'll see you next Sunday.